by the way, while I was uh, waiting for an oil change uh, the other day, uh, I met a die-hard uh, Baltimore Orioles fan who in the ensuing uh, conversation asked if we could pray for the Orioles uh, today. I told him that I didn't think the Orioles had a prayer. <laughs> but I would pass the request along. So I have now done that. And uh, I share that with you in part because I also invited him to log on to our website and see me say these words on his behalf. So. <laughs> Many years ago, uh, in another congregation, uh, a colleague of mine and I uh, went and uh, we visited a counselor to take the Myers-Briggs personality type indicator, which some of you I know are familiar with. Uh, and in which you respond to um, many different statements which then identifies your specific personality type and gives you information about how you respond to things in life uh, on the basis of, of that uh, type, whatever it is, which, uh, you know, as you know, can be tremendously helpful in terms of understanding yourself a little bit better, but also understanding, uh, communicating with, getting along with uh, somebody else uh, whose personality type may or may not be any better than yours because there is no better or worse, but it may be uh, different uh, from yours. And, and this can be helpful also in, in marriages and other professional relationships as well as uh, life in the church as we found out. Well, uh, when the counselor came back with our results, uh, he described the difference uh, between us uh, in the following way. To my colleague, he said, you will leave a meeting thinking about all the things that you wish you had said, but didn't say. And he looked at me and he said, and Mark, you will leave the meeting thinking about all the things you did say and you wish you hadn't said. You know, we instantly just cracked up and broke up laughing because it was just so spot on, you know, and I... I said to this counselor, well, I'll tell you one thing, you know, we didn't need you or Myers-Briggs to tell us that, which, you know, kind of made his point when you think about it. And so with that uh, little true confession, I welcome you to uh, part two of a two-part sermon that uh, I began last week entitled, Getting Along. Uh, based on St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, or in other words, to the church, or the Christian community in and around the city of Ephesus, which in the uh, second part of the first century probably couldn't have been a better place for the spread of Christianity, because Ephesus uh, was a very prominent and, in fact, the largest city uh, in the area known as Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It was a great commercial center. And in many respects, Ephesus was actually the gateway over to Europe and to uh, cities like uh, Corinth and Thessalonica and Philippi, which are in modern-day Greece and where Paul started other churches and where some of you are going to be uh, visiting with me in a couple of months from now. Uh, now, uh, I'm not going to rehash all the circumstances under which Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians because I already did that uh, last week, but uh, just by way of review and for those of you who may not have been here, let me say that the primary purpose for Paul in writing that letter to the church in Ephesus was to encourage the people of God to get along 
with each other in the midst of so many differences that they had among themselves that still exist among people like us, even in our generation, and to maintain such a high degree of spiritual unity in the church that uh, people outside the church would begin to be attracted to the power of Jesus, uh, to reshape hearts, to redefine relationships, literally to change the world. Uh, with the power of his saving grace. And uh, uh, last week, I covered some of the foundational principles that St. Paul lays out for how God wants us just to look at each other, which has an effect then on how we end up treating each other. In today's lesson, Paul writes significantly about how God wants us to talk to each other. Because words, as you know, matter. They have power. They have power to build up. They have power to tear down. Words have power to help you to go on, to go forward in your life, and they have the power to hold you back from the life uh, that God has for you. And so in the letter of James, for example, we are told that from the same tongue, we bless the Lord but we also curse those who are made in the likeness of God. And James says to the church of his day, brothers, this not ought to be so. We also know from Proverbs, on the other hand, that a, a good word is like sweetness to the soul. It is healing to the bones. Uh, that uh, a gentle word sends away wrath where a strong word turns up or sends out anger. And so whether uh, you're on the giving end or you're receiving end or you know, you're a person who says some things that you wish you hadn't or didn't say some things that you maybe should have said, words have this power to help us to get along, which as I said last week, has not only to do with the quality of our relationships, but it has to do with our ability to go forward, to move into our future. And most importantly, words have the power to draw people into the heart of Jesus Christ. I don't know if any of you caught this lately, uh, but there's been uh, a story going around uh, the news uh, on TV, radio, and also in print uh, recently and uh, even last week uh, about the city of Duluth, Minnesota which I will confess to you that I don't think about very often or ever, uh, but it's been in this news lately, and that is because about 15 years ago, Duluth, Minnesota had the reputation of being a place, according to one report, where nastiness was the norm. And I mean, it's Minnesota. But that was what it was called, a place where nastiness was the norm. And that's because public debate over a number of local issues, ranging from things like you know, the proposal for a new golf course in the city to health care for its retired employees and workers, resulted in what was a seeming epidemic of shouting matches and put-downs and name-callings. So that over the course of time, there was actually a different feel to the entire community of Duluth, 
Minnesota, and they got a reputation that was not very favorable among the surrounding communities of, of the upper uh, Midwest. Well, Duluth, Minnesota doesn't want to be a place where nastiness is the norm, and so a bunch of community leaders got together, and they started a campaign, and they called it Speak Your Peace, spelled P-E-A-C-E. And they started out uh, by drawing up a list of uh, nine principles or guidelines for talking to somebody with whom you may or may not agree about stuff ranging from politics to religion to sports to, to you name it. And they put these nine little guidelines uh, uh, or principles on a little wallet card and they distributed them throughout the city, you know, by the thousands over the course of time. And these principles included things like listen, which, by the way, does not just mean waiting for your turn to speak. Uh, res show respect, especially in the midst of your disagreement. Be agreeable. In other words, try to find areas of common ground and lift that up uh, whenever you can. Apologize. Say you're sorry when you get out of line and you say something that you know, maybe you should not have said. Take responsibility. Don't uh, try to shift the blame to somebody else. Give constructive criticism. Stay focused on the issue and refrain from personal attacks. And uh, you know, what's interesting is that speak your peace was never intended to resolve every disagreement in this world as if that it was even theoretically possible. Rather, it was designed and intended to help people talk to each other, to get along better for the sake of relationships, for the sake of community. And what happened over the course of time is that Speak Your Peace actually evolved from a little wallet card that people were carrying around to uh, classes and seminars and presentations and, and in fact entire courses that took place in schools ranging from elementary schools all the way up to colleges and universities, government agencies, businesses, all across the city of Duluth, around the state of Minnesota, and now, all across the country, at a time when, according to many people, hate is on the rise. And what's interesting is that uh, our friend and seminary president, Dale Meyer, uh, observed in his blog recently that every one of these nine suggestions can be found somewhere in the pages of Holy Scripture, to which I would say, we didn't need Duluth or a wallet card to tell us how to get along. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in this passage today, the guidelines include telling the truth. Or in his words, putting away falsehood. He says, let no evil come out of your mouth, but in, in everything, uh, use your words for building up so that grace may come to those who hear it. At the end of last uh, week's uh, lesson, he said, speak the truth in love, which is hard because we have this tendency to leave out one or the other, either the truth or the love. It's kind of hard. Be angry, but do not sin. What does that mean? 
Well, it means that, uh, in case you aren't aware of this, that sometimes our conversations with each other can get a little emotional. But our emotions in and of themselves aren't necessarily sinful. In fact, there are probably some things going on in this world for which we ought to be angry. And for which, you know, righteous anger is absolutely justified. And so, you know, getting along doesn't always mean giving in. Jesus, you know, said some pretty tough things in the Gospels, as you already know. But it's, it's uh, the intent, it's the attitude, it's the purpose, it's, it's what you say, and it's how you say what you say that can either honor or dishonor God or make or break a, a relationship, a partnership, a marriage, a city, a country, or even a church. And I know this is tough because there are a lot of uncharitable words flying around the world. And I will confess to you that, you know, I've launched a few of them myself. And so maybe you, like me, can also identify with people like the prophet Isaiah, who centuries before Jesus was called into his prophetic ministry, and his first response was, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I serve a people of unclean lips, what am I going to do? Well, what I would invite you to do, challenge you to do, is come up with your own mental list of questions to download into your brain for those times with respect to when we talk to each other, how we get along with each other, how we witness to the world. Is the word that's on the tip of my tongue going to build up or is it going to tear down? Is there some evil thing that's brewing within me or do I really mean this for a greater good? Am I listening? Am I showing respect? Am I telling the truth? And if it is a hard, inconvenient, biblical, prophetic truth, am I speaking the truth in love? Or am I just saying that? Will the words that I uh, attached to my righteous anger turn into sin? Or will they issue a godly call to a better way of life? Like I said last week, you know, you can't control another person's response. And there's some people in this world uh, with whom we may not ever stand on common ground, barring some sort of miraculous transformation. But what we can do is work on our response, on putting God's word into our words, on speaking our peace in Jesus Christ. Because the last thing that Paul calls us to do in uh, today's part of his letter to the Ephesians is to get this, be imitators of God. As his beloved children kind of like the little kid who lives next door to us, who when his father mows the grass, walks alongside him with his little plastic lawnmower. He is imitating his father. So that when we imitate our heavenly father by the things that we say and the way that we say them, 
people around us will start walking alongside of us and they will start working with us and they will start serving with us because they will see the power of Jesus to reshape our hearts and redefine our relationships and make all things new with his saving grace because the words of God are still coming to us in our generation. And they are saying, I have called you by name and you are mine. And I will remember your sin no more. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I will be with you to the very end of the age. You know, it is so true that so often your life will follow your words. And I would encourage you to think about that. Maybe give it a, a little bit of a try and dare to believe that you can change your words and you can change the world. And so what I really wish for all of us uh, today here is that, you know, the word of God would, it would be the loudest voice in your life in the midst of all the other voices and all the other noise out there. And that, that it would be the talk of the church and all of its sisters and brothers in Christ for the quality of our relationships, for the forward movement of God's mission and for the healing and hope and the joy of this world. So let's get out there and speak our peace. Let's go out there and be the church that God dreams about in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. God bless you. Have a great day and a great week in the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.